this is Jan Swift, and you're listening to Discover Lafayette, a podcast dedicated to the people and rich culture of Lafayette, the gateway to South Louisiana. We tape Discover Lafayette with the support of Raider, a managed IT service provider that offers world-class service, including cybersecurity, communications, and technology support. With Raider, you have just one vendor and one number to call, allowing you to concentrate on what is most important, your business. For more information, visit RaiderSolutions.com. Our guest is Dr. Thomas Bond, who specializes in regenerative medicine. Dr. Bond graduated from LSU in New Orleans and served as LSU Medical Center Chief of Sports Medicine. During his three-year tenure at LSU, Dr. Bond was the medical program director for the LSU Sports Medicine Fellowship Program. He founded Total Care Health and Wellness Medical Center in 2007. In 2018, Dr. Bond opened the Regenerative Medicine Institute of Louisiana. And I personally have heard from former athletes and local business people who have enthusiastically touted the success of Dr. Bond's treatment protocols in relieving them from debilitating pain. So if I may call you Tommy during the interview, Tommy Bond, thank you so much for making time today. Welcome to Discover Lafayette. Thank you so much. I appreciate being here. Yeah, we're not going to mention names as we talked about before we started taping, but I have several friends who have been patients and... They're overjoyed with the pain relief that they've gotten with with your direction, allowing their bodies to heal themselves. So, so many of us get in sports accidents, we age, things fall apart. I'm really fascinated with this field that I don't know much about, regenerative medicine. Yeah, yeah. So, again, thanks for having me. And, oh, yeah. and the first thing I'd say is, what is regenerative medicine, right? It's a kind of a large term. It's almost like... Uh, sports medicine. You know, you, you can have a guy pumping your gas for you who says he's in sports medicine um, because he was an athletic trainer in high school, right? So, <laughs> so regenerative medicine spans this massive spectrum of everything from, you know, what I do is trying to help people heal naturally without big surgical interventions, if possible, to even to the other end of the spectrum, which is tissue engineering, some really cool things that are going on in the science of biomedical engineering, um, trying to, to take cellular products and grow them into to full or functioning organs, hearts and livers and kidneys. And um, so there's a, there's a, it's a, it's a really big industry. And I believe that it's not going anywhere. I think it's going to get bigger and bigger. Um, and in that specifically, it is a it it truly is a sentinel moment in medicine. There are there are technological advances. If you look at the history of medicine in our country and really around the world, but you know every Go ahead. maybe 10, 20 years or so, well maybe let's say every twenty years or so, there's there's something that hits the the industry mm-hmm. and makes a big change. You know, it's a it's a a true transformative moment. Um, for example, in, in cardiothoracic surgery, when someone had a heart attack, uh, used to be you'd have to crack the chest open and, and, right, and mm-hmm. do what's called a coronary artery bypass graft surgery or CABG, C-A-B-G. And so when you look back just 20 years ago, well, maybe 30 years, you know, I lose track of time, but, but there were, you know, each hospital, the bigger hospitals were, were maybe doing three, 400, 500 cabbages a year. Wow. Um, in the South, mm-hmm. um, and now you say, well, okay, how many, if we ask some of the local CT surgeons here, that, that they would say, oh, God, no, we don't do that many, right? We maybe do half, mm-hmm. maybe, um, because of this new technological inter, you know, innovation called it, uh, an angioplasty, mm-hmm. right? So, so you all of a sudden had cardiologists who traditionally at that time were were the guys and gals that that did cardiology as as a field of practice, but it wasn't interventional. You know, they did medical management, they did they did diagnostics with echocardiograms and mm-hmm. stress testing and et cetera, which they all still do today. But what had what happened is once you had a new technological advancement, then you had sp- medical subspecialties that were becoming part of a surgical subspecialty, right? So all of a sudden you, you had interventional cardiologists that could now do less invasive procedures and 
and get to you know serving a patient to yeah. avoid a massive surgery. The and same so, or better outcome. Yeah. With yeah. less risk, I'm sure of exactly. uh, death or catastrophe. Exactly. Yeah. And, yeah. and morbidity. I mean, right. you know, I mean, you crack your chest. That's probably a not fun recovery. No. Whereas if you get a catheterization procedure, you know, you're back at it in a week or two. Mm -hmm. So that that kind of concept, when you look back over 100 years or so, is that you have technological breakthroughs in medicine, and things things typically take a shift towards the better. Typically, mm -hmm. you know, not always. Maybe you have a a mesh that didn't work or something. So it doesn't always mm -hmm. work or, or end in a, a better situation. But that's what what I see with regenerative medicine being. It's a transformative moment that is utilizing people's own body's ability to heal. And we'll get deeper into that. And then that way they, you can avoid major surgeries, the downtime after those surgeries, lost wages, return to work, opioid use. We have, we've studied all these different parameters and, right. and what we're showing is that, look, we're, it's positive in all those realms. And so, you know, for me, I stick mainly to orthopedics or musculoskeletal care. So the patients you previously talked about, you know, mm -hmm. that we've helped is, is say a knee injury or a back injury or a hip injury or shoulder injury that would traditionally go straight to surgery um, those patients were able to avoid that or avoid additional surgeries. Like, in, you know, sometimes people have had three or four surgeries before they right. they get to me, and then I think that was the case with one of my friends. Uh -huh. You know, just a yeah. football player that took a few hundred thousand hits, yeah. whatever hits <laughs> yeah, back yeah. in the day, and you pay the price for it. Sure, you know. So how? Um, tell me how it works. Like, let's say somebody did present with incredible back pain or, you know, they come to you, how does this work? So, so let's just be clear that, that what I, my training is in traditional medicine, allopathic medicine, MD medicine, mm -hmm. if you will. So I trained at, at LSU, then went to North Carolina and then did my sports medicine musculoskeletal fellowship at Duke university. And, and that, you know, Duke would at that time was like, look, we're number one. We do traditional medicine. There was no talk of any type of regenerative medicine at that time. And so I was trained in the traditional sense of, you know, you, you would start, say, with a back pain patient. And by the way, the way I got into this is that this patient that we're talking about uh -huh. was me. Okay, so I got and played football Many sports used to be an adrenaline junkie, racing mountain bikes, all these oh my things. Gosh. So Took some after rough tumbles, eighteen broken bones, six herniated <laughs> discs. I finally got one big hit uh, in a car accident oh, and God. had some really pretty bad neck pain and especially low back pain. And I was at in at Duke at the time, actually coming to interview for the the chief position at LSU of sports medicine. For I was down for that interview and was going in New Orleans, going to get some crawfish with a buddy, and we got in a pretty bad oh, car accident. Sorry to hear that. Um, and so I could have taken and that as young. an omen, yeah. you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was, let's see, in 2000. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm sorry, 2002. Um, may have taken that as a, as a bad omen, but I just shrugged it off, you know, and, and kept moving. Well, so I go back to Duke, and it's really starting to hurt now. So I did all the standard orthopedic allopathic traditional treatments, anti-inflammatories, muscle relaxers, physical therapy, chiropractic, dry needling, which wasn't called dry needling back then, they called, you know, um, and then you were an epidural, epidural steroid injections and, and medrol dose packs, everything that it's done today, mm -hmm. traditionally, but it just, nothing worked, not even close to working. Um, and I knew I had to find something because the, at that point, once we finished the injections, they said, okay, you gotta have a three-level fusion. And I know the data, and I knew the data then, I know it now, that you know, to have that type of massive procedure at the age of 30 mm -hmm. uh, would not have bode well for me in the future. So I knew I had to find something else and started, started researching. Um, and that's, that led me down the path of me getting regenerative medicine treatments 
and they absolutely helped me tremendously. Where did you find that people were going to this type of interventional treatment? Where, where were people doing regenerative medicine? So people were doing... In the U.S.? In the U.S. at oh. that time. Um, very, very few. I mean, this was in 2002. Mm-hmm. So really no one had done stem cells at that point. And no one had done PRP at that point. What is PRP? Platelet-rich plasma. I'm sorry. We'll get to that. Okay. So that's a blood-derived growth factor concentration. Okay. So these are some of the techniques we use. Okay. From the patient's own From the patient's own, correct. So so I went to Canada for a Vancouver for sports medicine meeting. And then from there, met some other international folks that were doing medical missions, which, which has always been a big place in my heart or something important to me. And so I, um, I decided to go down to Honduras and do some mission work with them and, and actually got my procedure done in Honduras in an open air church. Wow. Um, safe. Had, had my, mm-hmm. well, you Pretty know, safe. it was safe at the time. Although in my, as I was climbing on the table, I was wondering what exactly am I doing here? <laughs> um, but I was with some wonderful docs uh-huh. and some wonderful anesthesia, great group of different people, anesthesiologists, orthopedics, neurosurgery, PM&R, and sports medicine. Um, and we, we helped hundreds of people. And then what I was noticing is all the doctors are jumping up treating each other. And when you would speak with them, they'd say, oh, yeah, I traveled from Egypt so I could be treated. I mean, obviously, I want to help people, but I'd like mm-hmm. to be treated too. And they wanted to learn, to share. Exactly. Yeah. And so... You know, it's it's a it's a different vibe when you when you go to a conference to learn something, and then the thing that you're learning, the doctors are jumping up and mm-hmm. treating each other, volunteering. Please treat me, treat it my knee. It sounds like the my, old days of medicine when you know the it was, beginnings. It was where like people apprenticeship. Were to learn. Yeah, it was yeah. like really, and that's what it really goes back to is the a lot of these concepts were 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 that was the standard of medicine before pharmaceuticals. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Right? So it's it's only until really Big Pharma really started getting their pushes push in the 60s, 70s, 80s, you know, is when they really started, hey, look, you know, better living through chemistry. We've got a pill for everything. Mm-hmm. And if that gives you side effect, we've got a pill for that too, right? Well, what I've just noticed in my own body is that the standard wasn't working. And I go and do one treatment, and That's it's, it. it's it. One treatment, and bam! I was, hey, I'm 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 better. So they injected, like, explain what what was done. So back then, that was something called prolotherapy. In 2002. Correct. I think it's actually three, but mm-hmm. um, it was prolotherapy using a dextrose solution. Okay, and the Germans invented this back nearly a hundred years ago now. In fact, it was more than 100 years ago. For, for pain of this for, nature? For pain that was caused by damaged or loose ligaments. And so when you, when you think about joint pain anywhere in the body, and someone says, well, you know, you're getting older, you just have some arthritis. Well, what exactly is arthritis? Arthritis is actually a, a radiologic term. When you look at an x-ray and you say, well, look, wait a mm-hmm. second. Jan, this this joint of yours, this knee of yours, doesn't you know? It doesn't look right. Well, why doesn't it look right? Oh, because it has decreased joint space, and it looks like it's starting to get some spurs on it, and it, the calcium you're getting some chondrocalcinosis. Okay, so you have these these terms that we use to describe the way someone looks, or, or I'm sorry, the way some joint looks. Mm-hmm. And if you have those things, then we call that arthritis. But if you say, well, is it inflamed? Because itis means inflammation, right? Arth means joint, like an arthroscope, a scope of a joint. So arthritis truly means acute inflammation of a joint. But that's not really what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. What really happens is, is the joint is showing signs of damage over a chronic time period. The, the proper word for that is really arthrosis. But we don't, just in our daily vernacular, you don't say that, right? So, well, then what, what causes that? Why is it that you have arthritis, right? Well, what we're taught in medical school is that you have, you know, it's, it's a wear and tear issue. 
So the longer you live, the more wear you have and the more tear you, you go through. Well, so they actually started looking at that, right? Because you would think, okay, if that's true, then who, whose knees should have the most wear? Well, the people that run the most, right? Runners. Right. And not just runners, but marathon runners. And not just marathon runners, but ultra marathon runners, right? They should be decrepit. They should be horrifically arthritic. And when you look at those, those people, the marathon runners and above, right? Mm-hmm. They actually have a lower incidence of arthritis, so than, that, the, than the, the general population. So the wear, the yeah. wear theory doesn't mm-hmm. seem to hold. In true, in practice. In practice, clinically, right? right? Uh-huh. Now, the tear theory absolutely holds. And here's, here's an example. Let's say you're, yeah. you're an athlete, right? You're, you're a um, cheerleader, and you do a backflip, pow, you, and you land incorrectly, a little bit of a twist, and you pop that ACL ligament in the knee. Uh-oh. Man, I, now I've got an unstable knee, so let's go get that reconstructed. That's the right thing to do. So we'll go ahead and get that, get that done, let's say, at the age 18. Now, that knee is stable again, but for, what, for some reason that really none of us quite know yet, that knee is still going to go to arthritis before the other one. Okay? But it won't go anywhere near as fast as a knee that if that if that ligament wasn't repaired. Oh. Okay. So what we know for sure is trauma leads to arthritis and instability of a joint leads to arthritis way more quickly. Mm-hmm. So you want to get it you want to have a joint just get be destroyed. Best way to do it is to tear a bunch of ligaments and don't get them fixed. Gosh. Because it'll just be unstable. Right. The way I explain this to patients is think about the tire on your car, right? The tire sits on the wheel. The wheel sits on whatever. I'm not a mechanic. <laughs> it sits on whatever it sits on, right? But it's, it's stabilized by the lug nuts that hold it in place. Mm-hmm. And as long as those lug nuts are tight, that tire will contact the road the way it was designed to contact the road. If you loosen even one lug nut, it's going to start wobbling. And when it wobbles, it doesn't contact the way it was designed, and so it will tear up that tire quite quickly. Right? Yeah, that sounds like my left knee, <laughs> right? <laughs> Which right. I did have fixed. So but, it's, if yeah. it's unstable, mm-hmm. it's going to wobble, and wobble is not good for long term. Long term, it'll just yeah. it'll eat up the joint. Yeah, because right? that and then joint, you hurt other joints too because you're compensating. Right. Then that's a right. kinetic chain issue. Yeah. Right? You start having all these weird compensations. So what I always find funny is that you know you can't find an orthopedic surgeon in the world who would say that an unstable knee is fine, you know, it doesn't need to be fixed. So they all agree that ligamentous, you know, stability of a joint is important, mm-hmm. except when it comes to the spine. Most, it's, it's, it's weird. You have these little facet joints, and they're, they're, I call them the knuckles of the spine. If you ever turn and you feel your spine crack, mm-hmm. that's what you're hearing, right? Mm-hmm. Popping those little knuckles. Well, those get damaged, and those get loose, and they start to wobble, and they show signs of wobble, which we call what? Arthritis, right? And all, then suddenly the concept of stabilizing that is gone. It's, no, we just need to burn the nerve that goes to it. They call that an ablation. Or we need to put some steroids on it to, so that you can't feel the pain and allow that to just continue to wobble, right? So the concepts don't seem to hold across the spectrum of orthopedics when you're talking about different joints. But the wear and tear piece I've always questioned because, it, you know, mm-hmm. as a guy that, that used to slug my way through triathlons and adventure races that were 24 hours and that kind of thing. Wow. <laughs> um, you know, I, and, and I'm certainly paying for it now, but, you know, to me it didn't make sense. I would see these people that are doing incredible things. You know, something might take me 15 hours. These guys are doing it five and a half, Mm -hmm. which I just could not conceive. And they look great. Nope. Injuries, no nothing. And they did it every weekend professionally and they were sponsored and they did all these things. And I, man, you don't, you don't hurt. No, no, we do the race. Got one tomorrow. It took me two, two months to recover. So it always, for me, was very interesting that you had people that could do these ultra marathons, do 50 a year. And stay physically fine with no issues. Yeah. No aches and pains. 
And I've, I've, you know, I've had these discussions with colleagues that are orthos and we do medical missions together. I mean, these guys from all over the world and they'll say, well, you know, they're having microtrauma. They'll, don't you worry, they'll, they'll get it. I'll, I'll say, well, when? I mean, God, this guy I'm talking to is 72. He's done 150 ultra marathons. He would have been hurting by now. When, when, when is he going to get it? Um, so, you know, there's things that we perceive or believe that to be complete fact and dogma within the medical field that I believe is they're not, they've not been answered yet. Right. Um, so your treatment, you know, the injection, I guess it was the dextrose therapy you're talking about, that must have really spurred you to find out more. I mean, is that, was that the trigger? That well, well understand where this? my head was in this, at this, at this point in my life, I'm Duke trained. I'm going, you know, I'm interviewing for an academic mm-hmm. position this was voodoo right. that they were talking to me about. But, but my, my rational brain said, yeah, but, but I failed everything else. I can't have surgery. I mean, sh- heck, right. I might as well try a little voodoo. And the guy that I went down there with is a big sports medicine name, and he is fantastically brilliant. Um, and I know he's not full of bull, right? I mean, mm-hmm. he... Um, I guess I don't want to give him away, but let's just say there he was the team physician for a National Football League and an NHL team in the Northeast. He's a guy that that I knew to be solid, mm-hmm. and he said, "No, this is what you likely need. Um, it's incredibly safe, and I'll be there with you, and you can try it and see if this mm-hmm. is because it sounds like you know looking at your MRIs and hearing what you've had, which nothing has worked. You failed all these things." Um, so let's try this. And I said, well, you know, what else am I going to do? So I was, I was very, very skeptical about it. And I thought, well, you know, it's worst case scenario. It's just going to be a couple of sticks and it's going to maybe hurt a little bit, but it won't work. And so when it worked and quickly. worked quickly and incredibly, it threw everything, I, everything I knew just was turned on its head. Like just dextrose is sugar? It's sugar. Now you say, "Well, sugar? What in the world could that do?" Well, it could, it can do a lot of things because it's a strong, you know, depending on the concentration. If you put fifty percent dextrose on your skin, it'll eat right through it. Okay, so and that's not just like sugar out of your, out of the pantry. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so it's it's depending on the concentration concentration of dextrose. And it wasn't just extra. It was combined with lidocaine and salt water at 0.9%, which is what your your percent in your body is. But there was no side effect or risk, Zero. you're saying? Yeah. Well, so there's, could- there's always a risk with a needle going through skin. Always. So you put a needle through skin, there's always a risk of an infection because you we're full of, you know, our skin is completely full of bugs. Um, but hopefully you've done your prep correctly mm-hmm. and you've killed all those bugs and you let the stuff dry, you let the alcohol dry, you let the beta line dry, you do it the way you're supposed to do it. And they, we did that. You know, we were in these imperfect conditions. Right, right. So we were extra careful about, about infection risks. Um, <clears throat> but the, so you say, okay, well, how can the world, I mean, sugar water, that's ridiculous. That's placebo. Yeah. It does sound voodoo. Yeah. Well, placebo doesn't, cause changes on MRI. Placebo doesn't cause changes on x-ray where you see something that's unstable and then come back and look and it's stable, mm-hmm. right? On follow-up x-rays. Um, and so I, I, I spend a lot of time talking about prolotherapy because and pr- the word prolos means to proliferate. Oh, okay. Okay, so prolotherapy, again, started by the Germans in the, in the um, teens, right around World War I. And they were the ones who mastered this. And it was for ligament incompetence. They did it for, in general surgery, they did it in all, kind of, all kinds of ways. But, well, and for all kinds of things. But that was basically the mother of regenerative medicine. And the concept was that you could take this hypertonic solution of sugar and salt and lidocaine, Really, they use procaine. Um, you could take this solution, which was 
more dense than the salinity of your body, okay? And what that means is it would really upset your immune system, mm-hmm. right? It would be like taking sal- like salt in a wound, if you will. Right, right. It sucks the water to it, and by sucking water to it, it kills the cells that are around it. Okay, and you say, well, God, this doesn't sound good, Tommy, you know? Well, what it, if you take that needle and put it right at the spot where the ligament meets the bone, that's where the stem cells live. And when you would put the solution there, it really upsets those cells because, you know, you're, it's, it's like someone throwing salt in a wound. Yeah. And so these cells proliferate like, like mad to fight to whatever. To protect themselves. Yes, to, well, to fight whatever this uh-huh. invader is, mm-hmm. right? And so you had both a, the needle. The needle is a mechanical disruptor. And then you had the solution, which is a chemical disruptor. You had like a double whammy to these, this little tiny section of it's ligament. It's causing incredible pain. Yeah. Yeah. And it was the ligament laxity that caused the joint to move. And so now you have these stem cells would go ballistic and they would come in and basically notice the unnoticed. They would notice the ligament damage and start repairing it. That would cause that ligament to to reform and proliferate new tissue. And Did and you hurt when you got that shot? Did it hurt going in? Was it stinging? You know, the solution? Well, well it was a typical, it was your typical... Um, so, so, so you know, never nice, you know. <laughs> well, you numb the skin, mm-hmm. right? And the what, what, what I notice now is when I numb the skin, of course, that's no good, but you wait a minute, let it numb, and then the needle touching that numb spot doesn't hurt. But as it goes down to the target, it's got to go through many, many layers of tissue. And the longer you have pain, the more the pain is in that interval tissue. And you say, well, wait, wait, what in the world is he talking about? Well, you know, one of the big issues of today is that doctors don't examine their patients good enough. I mean, really examine them with their hands and, and poke and prod and palpate up and down these areas to find tender points. If you look at an MRI and it says, oh, she's got a L5 herniation, that's the problem. Well, is it? It may be, it may not be. You know, you're, I always tell patients you're allowed to have more than one problem. Mm-hmm. And it most of us probably do. <laughs> we all do. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's rare to have a really specific um, one little spot problem. Um, so, you know, as, I, as they were going in, as they were injecting me, this was a relatively chronic issue for me, most likely. Mm-hmm. And it sure did hurt on the way down. But when they got to that spot, and for me, it happened to be the L4-5 facet joint. When that needle hit that spot, I knew right away, that I, like, that's it. That's what I've been feeling. That's what has been killing me for you know, well over a year. Um, and as soon as they injected, I knew that that was the spot. I, in my mind, I thought that only only God and I know uh-huh. that that spot. Was it so bad though? You wanted to scream, or just that they oh, found no, no, the no, source no. of the? No, no, no. It was pain. just like I, I was. It again. They got it. They nailed it. They nailed it. Yeah, yeah, I was like, this is this. You know, again, I was I was basically gonna be the one guy mm-hmm. that we're gonna prove these people wrong. That it wasn't going to work. Right. It wasn't going to work. I mean, this is voodoo. This isn't, if Duke doesn't teach it, mm-hmm. then it's it's not real. Obviously. Yeah. Because, you know, Duke's number one, of course, you know. Of course, my wife, who's a Carolina girl, would say <laughs> absolutely not. But people always ask us about that. You know, what's, uh, how do y'all stay together? So it was two nights of the year that we kind of, yep. you know, sit on different sides of the couch. Tiff. Yeah. Um, this year, Duke won, by the way, just to let you know. <laughs> uh, so you got your shot, and then. How long? Like we said, it didn't take long. How well, long? Well, did, you know, you... I was I was stiff for about a week, um, and you know, my my friend said, "Just let me know how that goes." And you know, I'm I'm now my brain is in turmoil for that whole week. I'm thinking, how could this possibly be um, that this sugar water has changed things in my body. I mean, I had no more numbness down the leg. I had no, I I just couldn't, I couldn't believe it. I said, this must be some kind of placebo. But understand that I was trying to disprove it. I mean, placebo only works if you believe it. Right, 
Right. Right. That's the idea of a placebo, that you believe something Mm -hmm. and the power of the mind changes the physiology. Well, I was, I didn't believe it. (laughs) So, you know, the, the, the idea that, that it's only placebo is, is impossible for someone who doesn't believe it. So just over time, I just got better and better. And then I, you know, I I couldn't, I just said, this is something real. I need to investigate Mm -hmm. this further. And understand during those two weeks, I went for two weeks, you know, we would work for, from, from seven and the clinic would start at seven in the morning and we would finish around six at night. So you're on your feet all day, weren't really resting. Right. Yeah. We would eat dinner and then we would go to lecture till 11. Mm. It was, it was super intense, super intense. And I will, I will credit the man who, who, one of the most brilliant physicians I've ever met, Carl Osborne and Carl, um, this is a guy that, that knows every muscle, every ligament, everything by heart without looking. Mm -hmm. He could just rattle it off to you and understands the physiology, understands where to inject. And so he was teaching us every night. He was a U.S. doctor? Yeah, he's up in Oregon, Uh and he's my my mentor, you know. Um, He's treated me several times, different parts of my body, treated my jaws, my my neck. I always say I've had everything, every every joint injected um, except my hips. Um, and there's still tomorrow, you know. It's right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They'll, they'll be soon. Uh-huh. Um, but so that was my experience. And so at that point, I like said, okay. Awakening. It yeah. was truly an awakening. I mean, it was a pa- true paradigm shift. After all your medical training. Right. To learn this. Right. And, and the truth is, is the deeper I go into it. And listen, I am an expert in the field. I, I'm, you know, was the, was the president of the AOM the youngest president ever, ever, and I'm still on the board. I, I go to meetings every year. We do medical missions every year. I was recently in Peru teaching up 30 doctors from around the world, all orthopedic surgeons, um, how to do these techniques. The prolo. Uh, and stem cell and PRP and fat grafting. So we'll get into that a little bit. So prolotherapy, uh, again, spend the time to understand the basics that that is the, that is the original stem cell mm-hmm. procedure is what I call it, mm-hmm. right? But what that does is use these solutions to stimulate your body to bring its own people into this work site and get to work, mm-hmm. right? So your own adult stem cells. So let's talk about stem cells for a minute. So there are many types of stem cells. There are um, blood stem cells that, so your blood turns over over every 120 days. So you have to, you're making new red blood cells and white blood cells every single day. Those are produced when you're a baby. Those are produced by the thymus gland and your bone marrow. And then as you age, that thymus just kind of, kind of involutes. And then, so all of your immune system, immune cells, or at least the overwhelming majority, um, are made in your bone marrow, okay? And you have circulating stem cells called pericytes, and they are in different tissues just waiting to be called up. Some lie at the fibrosis junction, which is where the, say, the tendon or the ligament hits the bone and dives into the bone. You have bone stem cells, osteoblast, osteoclasts that do their thing. And the word stem is argue. I mean, we argue about this all the time. Um, the concept of a stem cell is it's an undetermined cell. It can, it can be turned into different types of cells. Okay? So imagine you have a contractor, and the contractor is coming to take care of your house, right? He's going to build your house. But he has to sub some of the stuff out, right? He has to get a, an electrician who's really a specialized cell who only works on the electrical mm-hmm. part, right? And then the same thing with the plumber, and same thing with the bricklayers, the roofers, right? You have all these different cell types in your body that do all these different things. And depending on what part of the body they're in, they all come from one stem cell for that part of the body. Let me explain. Okay. When you're a tiny, tiny baby, right? At the moment of conception, two sperm cell, egg cell join to form one. That's a baby, right? Or you can call it whatever you want, but I'm, I'm going to tell you my, my thoughts. That then doubles to 2 to 4 to 8 to 16 to 32, 64, 128, and 3, <clears throat> 128, 356. So when you get to, to that level, that's, that is 
when the baby starts to differentiate. And so instead of being one cluster of one cell type, you now have three different germ layers, we call them, or cell types. Endoderm, mesoderm, and ectoderm. The ecto, ecto meaning external, is your skin, hair, and nails. Your endo is all your organs, endoderm. So that's your heart, your lungs, your liver, your kidneys. And then the meso, meso means middle. The middle layer is everything else. And it happens early, huh? It happens very early. Mm-hmm. It happens between you know 128 and 356. I'm almost positive. Um, so yeah, I, you know, again, I can pull that embryology book, but my memory, if my memory serves me, it's right around then. It's, mm-hmm. it's about six or seven doublings, and boom, it's going to start differentiating. So this is very early on. This is way before detux- detection, right? Uh-huh. Um, so you're already you're already moving into the different stem cell germ layers. Now, what's really interesting is the middle layer, these mesoderm, is what I'm super interested in because that controls all the development of the musculoskeletal system. So muscles, ligaments, tendons, fascial layers that hold it all together, bones, cartilage, all of that comes from one cell type called a mesodermal stem cell. Now, the fancy word for mesoderm is mesenchyme. And so if you were to look this stuff up, you'd see a MSE, mesenchymal stem cell. And that's what we're really going for when we do stem cell treatments. So let's, let's just stop right there. And people say, well, Tommy, you're talking about babies. What are you, hurting babies and taking babies? No. I'm saying that just as a reference, and as we grow... Yeah, it's how the body develops. You differentiate, yeah. the body develops into mm-hmm. these three different layers, and then as you grow, those those layers determine all those different organ types. So we're just bigger, but it's we're just the same way process. We're just way, way bigger. Yeah. Now, as as adults, we, we don't produce as much... Stem cell, like they're... Mesenchymal stem cells, as we used okay. to, because we're kind of done. We, we're mm-hmm. you, got you should system. be right. Yeah. You should. You're not growing any taller. Um, now, every time you work out with weights or walk on that treadmill or mm-hmm. do whatever it is you're doing, you're gonna kick in some parasites, and they'll say, "Oh, look, he damaged or she damaged some tissue here. She broke down this muscle doing that body pump. Let's let's go ahead and create some more, right? So you have that ability." Um, and again, mainly by the bone marrow proliferation. So that's what we do. What I do here is we utilize the individual cells. Of your call patient. That, that's right. That's called auto self. Like an automobile is, mm-hmm. a, is a self-driving vehicle, right? Or it's a self-vehicle. You're moving yourself, really, is what it means. Um, so autologous is, is what we do here. We use the patient's own blood and bone marrow and fat, right? To use, we use those to get cell, either cellular material or growth factor material. Now, let's get into that a little bit. So, your blood has a cell type called platelets in it. And the platelets, you may know, are involved with clotting. So, if you cut yourself, right? And you start bleeding. You don't have to think like, oh, God, please clot. Um, you know, Mr. Mr. Platelet, get over there and do it. No, it does it on its own, right? Mm-hmm. And you don't even have to think, worry about the cut. Your body will heal that. It mm-hmm. will absolutely heal it, make it pretty, right? Done. Now, you say, well, yeah, Tommy, that, but that's different in different people, right? So the more comorbidities you have, yeah. like diabetes and obesity and hypothyroidism, or if you smoke, all those things really take a hit to your immune system. So then you don't heal as well. Mm-hmm. So it might take a little longer, it might, but eventually it'll heal itself, right? And you don't have to think about it. That is your immune system at work. It's a miracle. It's a miracle. It's an absolute miracle, yeah. right? The whole thing is just crazy. Right. Um, that's why I love it. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm so passionate about it because it's it's truly a universe. We're, we're all a universe under ourselves. And, and could, when you were talking, all I could think of was I can see how you value life so much because you've learned how early we form. Well, absolutely. It's just such a beautiful yeah. miracle. No, it's, 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 you know, and the overwhelming majority of pregnancies end in, end in spontaneous right. abortion, right? Oh, they so, do? Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, I mean— um, 
Because the baby is just not quite right. Oh, it's, yeah, just not right. I mean, you know, most... most. I didn't know that. Well, we, we you know, spontaneous, an SAB or a missed, missed yeah. abortion, you know, that happens all, mm-hmm. all very, very early on. Um, anyway, not to get on that subject, yeah. right? That's a whole other subject. But, but you know, it's important to, to mention because, you know, the... These things, these cell layers start very early, and and so then you get you you get to be an adult, right? And what the the main thing that we do here, as far as a regenerative medicine technique to help stimulate the person to heal, is what some people call PRP for platelet-rich plasma. I really don't like that that acronym because it doesn't tell people exactly what what it is. I mean, what is that? If you don't know what platelets are, then you don't know what that means. If you don't know what plasma means, you don't know what that means. Mm-hmm. So back to the platelets. They, within them, have growth factors. So the platelets show up at the scene of the cut and the tissue damage, and they release these growth factors. And there are many, many different types of growth factors. But the growth factor's main job is to do two things. One pull in these stem cells or these circulating pericytes, or I should even say immune cells, right? Pull in these immune cells so that they will come and start getting the job done. It's the cells that actually form new tissue Mm -hmm. and close the wound, right? Um, But but the growth factors are critically important in trying to tell those cells what to do. Now, you know, none of us really know, and I've been doing this for 20 years, and I can tell you that we really don't know. We argue at every meeting, every single meeting we go to, we all argue because you, there's new things that we find each time, each year, you know, new new kind of ideas that, well, wait a second, we, we what about that growth factor? That one looks to be much more important than we thought last year It's you because know, this new study shows that, hey, if you just put that one in, the cells go crazy and they... And they really they do the job. They do the job, right? Yeah. So maybe that one's more important than the other ones. Um, but we'll be arguing that for, mm-hmm. for until my son <laughs> is my age, right? And for a patient, they'd probably just whatever. They just, just want it, it to work. Yeah, yeah just they just want it to work. Yeah. So what we'll do is, let's say you come in and you hurt your back and you've been through everything yeah. and now you're looking at surgery. And so we'll do our diagnostics and palpations and say, okay, look. I do see you have this herniated disc, but man, I really think that a lot of your pain might be coming from the instability. Okay, so let's try to do a little bit of prolotherapy, and then I'm, that nerve's upset because you're having those symptoms down the leg. So let's let me treat the nerve with a growth factor product. Okay, and so I would pull blood, just a, a peripheral blood pull from your arm, like you do when you go to donate blood. But we'll take that blood and we will process it here in my lab in a way that we get rid of all the red cells and we get rid of most of the white cells. And then we will concentrate the platelets. So that's a platelet-rich plasma. I see. Right? But it, to me, it makes more sense to call it a blood-derived growth factor concentrate. Now, that's a mouthful. Mm-hmm. It's a real mouthful. But it comes from the patient themselves. But that's what it is. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's an autologous growth factor concentrate. And so what we're, that makes sense to most people like, Mm -hmm. oh, you're going to, you're going to concentrate my growth factors. And put it where I need it. Right. Yeah. It's just like saying like, look, okay, here's uncle Jimmy. Uncle Jimmy loves orange juice, but it's never good enough for him. Like our orange juice is never strong enough for uncle Jimmy. Right. So what do you do for Uncle Jimmy? You go buy some orange juice concentrate and stick it in his glass and say, drink that. And then maybe he's good, right? So everybody knows what orange juice concentrate is. It's just really concentrated orange juice. So if you have a growth factor concentrate, then you're really going to concentrate these growth factors that normally can heal a situation, right? You say, well, you know, some of my more astute patients will say, well, Tommy, why did I tear my rotator cuff and it's not healing on its own? Yeah. Well, it's because the tear is either too big or you're not letting it heal. Mm-hmm. You're not giving it the proper time and stimulus to heal because our social schedules don't coincide with our immune <laughs> immune schedules. Right. Right. We're all too busy mm-hmm. to chill and let the let body try to heal. Right. Yeah. For the most part. 
So smaller tears, you're probably tearing stuff all the time and your body's taking care of it. Mm -hmm. But when it can't do that for whatever reason, tears too big, et cetera, then we can concentrate these growth factors and go under direct image guidance. I use ultrasound in the office or fluoroscopy in the surgery center. And we'll go to these spots and put this concentrated growth factor, uh, growth factors, sorry, in that area to try to help it heal. So that's the basis for what we do. Even with a large tear? Sure. Okay, because I know you were saying earlier about instability and mm -hmm. sometimes you have to fix Thanks. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And in, in this, you know, like, let's just take that ACL, right? right? So if you pop an ACL and it completely pops, like imagine a rope, right? If you, if you had a rope that was stretched between two trees and you just, tore it and it frayed a little bit, right? But it's still intact. Okay. That you might be able to, that we could fix. But not like a total. But yeah. if it pops in half and there mm. and half is on the ground over there and half's on the ground ten yeah. feet away, you got to sew it back we together. We call that retracted. It's retracted away from each other. Mm -hmm. So the the best way to do that is to either sew it back together or just replace it with a new one. And the surgeons are experts at that, right? Yeah. That's what they do, and that's what they're good at. My big issue is when it's when it's frayed, and if it's frayed. It seems to me that, you know, God made it. And if we could get it to just keep, if we could keep it mm -hmm. and make it function well again, then that would be the best option. Right. To me. Just like the cut you were talking about. If, you know, you heal, right. you can heal internally also. Right. And nobody really wants surgery. <laughs> well, if, you know, again, you know, an, an ACL rupture, I just had one last week and she want, she did not want surgery. And I said, you mm -hmm. need to have surgery because it's, I, I nor anyone else is going to fix this thing. It's, it's, it's flat. I call it flapping in the breeze, right? So if you have these two ends that are flapping, uh, we can't bring those back together. Mm -hmm. But if you tear and you have maybe an 80% tear like this, then we can feel that hopefully. You know, there's no guarantees, but that's we have really good success with that. So how how is this perceived by other sports medicine professionals? Like, you know, we were talking before the interview about stem cells. People start thinking you're taking things from babies. Correct. But you're letting the patient heal themselves by using their own physicality, like you're not using other invasive means, right? Right. Two points there. One, how is it how is it looked at by the sports mm -hmm. medicine world well the open-minded people see it for what it is it is not a panacea but it can certainly help some people and so the the i have several surgeon colleagues not in this town and not in this state even that are absolutely utilizing it in the right patients mm -hmm. but they still do tons of surgery because they happen to see a segment of the population that really needs surgery right but, you know, I have a buddy in Dallas that is an orthopedic, and he will utilize these techniques first and foremost if appropriate, right? If it's appropriate, if you have a partially torn rotator cuff, then it's appropriate to, to try these techniques yeah. first. Um, in, the, in the normal situation, maybe there'd be some other situations that, that you, you wouldn't want to do it. But um, anyway, so that was the first part of your question. And then going back to to the, the question of autologous procedures versus allopathic, or not allopathic, but allogenic. So that word allogenic, allos means other. And so sometimes, say, let's go back to the ACL. If, the, if you tear an ACL, then sometimes they'll use a cadaver ACL, okay? And that's, we call that a graft. And that that's an allogenic, it's somebody else's, mm -hmm. right? But we... we that's used in, in medicine often um, for different for different surgeries, and that's someone else's graft that you use to stabilize that situation. And so, you know, we allografts are used very often in in medicine. Now, one of the things that gets a little bit tricky, and this is where people get thrown off, okay, is when you talk about stem cells. Again, think of it as your own or other. Okay. So autologous or allo, right? 
Now, if I tried to give you my stem cells, that would not work, okay, because they're predetermined for me. Mm-hmm. Even though they can change into different cell types, but they're mine. For your body. Right? Yeah. So what, what has happened in the past several years is we began looking at birth tissues, okay, not babies. Let me say it again. I'm a 1,000% against using embryonic stem cells, or fetal stem cells, that is a baby. You're killing a baby to use the cells. So that's a big no-no. And that's illegal in in every country in the world. Um, However, when you have, when a baby is delivered, there's an umbilical cord, and that umbilical cord is attached to the placenta, and the placenta, right, is attached to mom. And so baby is delivered, umbilical cord is cut, baby goes to mom, and then what, placenta is delivered placenta goes to the inspection table. So now you have a placenta and a umbilical cord attached to it that's clamped. And you, what do you do with that? Well, they typically throw it away. Mm-hmm. But many, 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 many years ago, okay, post-World War One, when we had um, soldiers that had terrible burns, you know, when you have a large burn, that's you, your body can't close it. And you might not have, you can't skin graft it if it's too big, right? So we had a lot of really, really messed up soldiers back then. Um, and what they, what they started doing is they would take the, the covering of the placenta called the amnion, and they could use a massive, you know, 12-inch covering and wrap it, just put it, take it from the birth suite over to and the... And lay it on the burn. And lay it on the burns, and oh. it would heal. It would was heal. that in the U.S., or was that around the world? That was the in world? the U.S. Okay. I yeah. wondered if the Germans were involved in this too. Well, they probably started it, you know, yeah. but but um, they kind of have done everything in medicine uh, early on anyway. Um, but that was the ver- kind of the first, if you really research regenerative medicine, depending on what, you, what your definition is, right? actually mm-hmm. they, they, the, the ancient Egyptians used to pin horses and they were probably the first ones. Um, that, that's going to have to be a whole other segment, right? Because I find that super interesting. It still happens today, actually. Pinning of the Achilles heel of the uh, what, what is the what we would could call an Achilles, basically. I think they call it the hawk. I'm not an equine guy, but but they used to do something called pinning, which would would burn the, the tissue, which would really upset the immune system, mm-hmm. and then it would come in, and these horses could run again. Um, Aristotle used to take a hot poker and burn the anterior shoulder of javelin throwers. And it was effective? Yes. So it's the same thing you're talking about. The, right. The body's it's, just trying it's to heal trying itself. To, trying to heal the body. Now, uh-huh. I would I would argue that those are examples of, traumatic, of trauma mm-hmm. and you're causing scar tissue versus proliferating new tissue. That's the, right. that's the So uh, your patients don't have to worry about this. That's right. <laughs> uh, we don't use scl- sclerotherapy. Mm-hmm. We don't use sclerosing agents that damage tissue. Yeah. We use agents that heal tissue. Okay. So back to the idea of cells. So allogenic grafts we can use from placentas, placental coverings, mm-hmm. and umbilical cord. That would be discarded otherwise. Yes. Okay. In fact, we have a I have a with a, a company here in town who who actually processes those and sells the, appropriately processes them and sells the the grafts to uh, for burn patients and oh. for wound care patients. Um, I'll digress on that, but the the concept is that this this is where most of the population gets very confused is when you have an amniotic product, yeah. an umbilical cord product. Um, a placental product. So I'll break it down real easy. All of those products are considered to be basically growth factor products, okay? Except the umbilical products. The umbilical products, and there's a real big argument right now about umbilical cord products because umbilical cord is full of stem cells. But here's the problem. Before you can put anything into another human being Medically, it has to be sterilized, obviously, right? Mm-hmm. So you can't do what they did in the 20s and 30s where you could have a baby be delivered, you take the placenta and run over and put it on some soldier, right? That's What if the mom has HIV? What if she has syphilis? What if she has gonorrhea? You obviously can't do that. 
So now things have to be sterilized. And when you sterilize something, you usually kill all the cells. So what we've had in the past several years, and the FDA is now coming down pretty pretty diligently on it, is we've had some really bad actors, physicians, and chiropractors, and other folks that have really tried to fleece the population, especially older folks with, you know, with bad arthritis. And, mm-hmm. you know, they, what they have done is said, hey, look, we have these stem cells in a vial when really there were likely not a single live cell in there because it was already sterilized. So this is a real big point of contention right now in that people are charging outrageous fees for one cc one shot in a say a knee mm-hmm. um and that has no no chance in the world to to help that patient and that's so disappointing when you've got hope that you'll be out of pain correct or, you know avoid surgery yeah. or something and that's why it's just so terrible to right. me for someone who's devoted his life to it and has really helped I mean, it's helped me tremendously, and I've helped a lot of patients doing it the right way. Mm -hmm. And, you know, who's to say that my way is the right way? Well, at least we're we're trying to gather data. You know, we, as part of a network that I'm in, the Regenex network, we've done over 133,000 procedures. That's documented and kept in a patient registry. That data is not controlled by us. It's a third party, the Interventional Mm -hmm. Orthopedic Foundation. They control it. They run the numbers. They do everything. And it, what's, what's great is that our own data teaches us. Mm-hmm. What works and what doesn't. What works and what doesn't work, yeah. What, is there a success rate you can share? Sure. The numbers? So, and, and this was a great segue into the next thing. If we have time that I'd like to talk Got about. a couple of minutes. Yeah. Oh, goodness. Yeah. Okay. Well, I guess we won't. But so the, that's that. fine. No, the success rate for what we do Um. In, in terms of the definition of success, which we say is avoiding the surgery mm-hmm. that you were told that you needed for four years and counting, right? The data is just still ongoing. So, so here's the definition. Improvement in symptoms, improvement in function, and avoidance of the surgery that you were told you must have for a minimum of four years. That is our, that's the criteria that we're, these numbers are looked mm-hmm. at. And right now, the failure rate is 90, I'm sorry, the, the success rate is 98% at worst. Oh, gosh, it's only 2%. Only 2% or less. Or less go. It's really 99. Like for mm-hmm. spine, it's 99. Um, for knee, I believe it's 98. Hip is the one exception. Hips, once they get to be bone on bone, I tell those folks you need to go get this replaced because the success rate is only about 60, between 60 and 65% in my clinic. Mm-hmm. And so I don't like those numbers. Right. Um, That's incredible. So for four years, I guess then you have to do another treatment? Well, the four years, again, is only, it's the studies are ongoing. I saw a guy so in a clinic this week who I did both his knee, I did stem cell procedures on his knees in 2005. And he's doing well. And he came back begrudgingly um, because he didn't want to miss. He, he's a he's a um, Olympic coach, and he didn't want to miss practice. Mm-hmm. And he drove from Texas, and his one knee is doing great. The other knee is not doing so great. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's one it's of those. It's a long time. Though. It's one of, exactly seventeen, eighteen years. Um, well, no, no, it was it was in fifteen. So oh, fifteen. That, yeah, okay. Yeah, thought you were saying two thousand. Now, my longest, my longest, and counting so far as bilateral knees, um, stem cell. He was bone on bone. Told told that he needed bilateral right. knee replacements. He's thirteen years out. And he he's doing all right. Lives here in Lafayette. Yeah. Can you do it again? Like, is it procedure yes. that can be done? Yeah, it can be done over, again. Over your Typically, lifetime. though, the, you know, there are some things that, like for in this guy's case, I told him he wasn't candidate he needed a knee replacement um he wasn't happy to hear that at all mm-hmm. but <laughs> but, but if you you're know. telling him that you know that's probably accurate because you'd prefer to be treating with what well, you sure, do yeah but you know. but you know i'm not gonna yeah i'm not gonna do something and have it i you know i'm i'm much the way i look at life is that you you do what's right and if it's if the person gets mad at me for telling the truth then i can't help that right mm-hmm. i mean 
he's not a candidate. You're not a candidate. It's not going right. it, to, there's no need for, to do it if, you're, right. if it's not going to work. So, Well, as we're winding down, and I apologize for this, I've just got an event I've got Absolutely. to get to. So we were talking about insurance before we started, and this is not a looked at yet as um, insurance reimbursement uh, Correct. type so, of procedure. So from, the, from a standard commercial health insurance company, they are not covering these procedures as of yet. But self-insurance? But uh, self-insured companies, companies. Uh-huh. are covering it. And one of the great local stories is, you know, I have a contract with the Lafayette Parish School Board through our Regenex corporate program. Um, and so patients who are listening out there that are <laughs> coaches or, or retired bus drivers or cafeteria workers or teachers, of course, um, can utilize this program and have it paid for. So you can get stem cells. You don't have to get surgery, and maybe you don't need stem cells. Maybe you just need growth factors. But you can have the consult and the procedure paid for through your insurance um, because the our program has proven to the school board to save them hundreds of thousands of dollars every year. Um, I don't believe I'm at, shouldn't, I shouldn't say what the real number is that we should, that we've saved. But um, the idea is it's not just about the money. It's about the patients and the, the patients. Quality are, of life. Yes. They've yeah. avoided big surgery. I'm thinking right. of one, one lady that um, is a wonderful person and she plays tennis and that's really what she wanted to do. Um, and of course, with a big three level fusion in her low back, she wouldn't be ever playing tennis again, most likely. And so for her, it's, just, it's a game changer, mm-hmm. you know? So that's, that's one of the things where I see you were asking about insurance. And I believe that the self-insureds will more and more, and look, we sign them on every day. I mean, we just had a patient yesterday who uh, works for Gulf Coast Bank. They're one of our clients. Um, we have companies in Baton Rouge and New Orleans that are our clients. So we, you know, they're... The bigger self-insured companies realize that this this current state of affairs in commercial health product health insurance products is absolutely unsustainable. Absolutely, one hundred percent unsustainable. Everybody knows it. Everybody talks about it, and no one does anything about it. So you're just quietly going about your business and Listen, treating people. I, I have hard enough time keeping up with my schedule with my three boys and my wife. So what I'm trying to do is just focus on every patient, one patient at a time. Mm -hmm. And this thing will grow. The patients will demand it. That's what I've I've watched over 20 years. And it's the same patients, the patients will demand different alternative, integrative, whatever the word of the the Mm -hmm. day is. But what they want is something that works. And traditional allopathic healthcare overall isn't working for a lot of people. So you think like 50 or 100 years from now, this would almost be laughable. It seems like people look back and say, what were they doing? Oh, Why were I there think so many 50 surgeries? years from now, we will absolutely... It, it will be insane. We will think of what we were, we've done today as being insane. Like cutting people open for yeah, no they, reason. They, yeah, they'll be like, that's just, mm-hmm. I can't Barbaric. believe we did that kind yeah. of stuff, you know? Yeah, that's um, why I wanted to have you on. I just um, was so fascinated with my friend's stories because I hadn't heard of this. And yeah. uh, you, you treat other people too, like you have a wonderful physician assistant, Ashley, right. who, you know, she treats yeah, women Yeah, and I would love to plug her. She, Ashley, is She's fantastic. Great. And what, yeah. you know, the... The she is the cog in this machine that helps all of our patients' immune systems. And, mm-hmm. you know, you might think of it as, well, it's just hormones. Well, hormones are critical in the immune response, you know, and this is why one of the reasons that older people tend to get more sick with certain things mm-hmm. because they're, they're not as immunocompetent as they once were. Right. And so things like nutrition, exercise, hormonal balance, even stress, um, you know, these things are, are critically important in healing. I think we all saw that during COVID, right? right. I mean, like, you know, who, the, the young athletes didn't get sick, didn't get hit that bad, right? But when you, mm-hmm. the, the whole population 
was not doing so great. And, you know, we're not doing that great. This is just reinforces. Not in the U.S. No. I mean, it reinforces the idea that our our system of healthcare delivery is not focused on, on, okay, like, hey, it's not about how many hamburgers you're eating, but how about every year you get on that treadmill and we're going to see where you are, Mm -hmm. right? And the and if you right you know that would be a different way to do it right, right. instead of instead of just playing catch up and saying okay we're gonna we're gonna wait until you're sick before we invest in you right well you're kind of behind the ball at that point aren't you and I know there's a real shift like especially with emergency rooms to keep people from just using that as their go to physician, you know, their preventative medicine is where it's at. But I just wanted to let you share your story because I think this is kind of light years ahead of what many of us are aware of. Sure. And I want to send people, I guess I just look up Thomas Bond, but you've got a wonderful yeah. website with Regenex. Well, well, we have, well, Regenex is a national website, but mm-hmm. we, my website is bondmedicalcenter.com. Um, right here on South College, 1101 South College. Yeah, um, yeah. It's convenient. a pretty pretty centrally located place, I think. Yeah. I mean, I think the you know the dynamics of Lafayette seem to be shifting, maybe moving a little south and it moves a little north, you know. Kind of smack uh, dab in the middle of it. I think we're kind of right here. Um, yeah. So we're, we're easily mm-hmm. reachable if you could get through the Lafayette traffic. <laughs> right, right. Well, it was easy to get here. But yeah. I want to thank you for your time and and sharing your story, what led you here, because that lends credibility to it. Like you, you were desperate for help and you got it. And, uh, I want to thank you for what thank you're doing. Thank you so much. No, I, I appreciate the time. And, um, there aren't many of you, right? Uh, you're looking at them uh-huh. in at the least state? in this state. Yeah. 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 We're lucky here in Lafayette. Well, I think so. And I appreciate the, the think the thinking, you know, but, um, Again, I, what I like to close and say that is what we do is just try to help people. And it's mm-hmm. some, we can help some, we can't help others. But the one promise that I will make, or even better than a promise is a guarantee, is that you'll hear the truth. So when, when patients come to me, I tell them the truth. Sometimes they don't like it, but it's the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, so we can either help you or we can try to find somebody that can't. Right. But I appreciate being on and, yeah, and uh, it's my pleasure. loved it. This is a great experience. Thank you, Dr. Thomas Bond. Thank you so um, much. Thank you for being on. And I want to thank our listeners for your loyal support. If you haven't, please visit discoverlafayette.net where you can find Dr. Bond's interview along with about 300 others. And if you haven't subscribed yet, please consider doing so. I want to thank Raider for mixing our tape, in particular Jason Sikora, who makes it sound so professional. Thank you for listening. On behalf of Discover Lafayette, this is Jan Swift. 